Good evening, ladies. I am really sorry that we're not able to get together tonight um, for Bible study, but I hope you're all safe and warm in your homes and pray that God will give you a good evening. I uh, don't know if, if you're going to be able to go to work tomorrow, if you're working outside the home. If you're a mom of kids, they may be home with you all day tomorrow. So whenever you have time to read um, in Titus again and have time to watch this, I hope that it'll encourage your hearts. And um, this is something new. And as you may be able to see, not terribly comfortable for me, but we'll make it fun as we can and pray that God would give us a wonderful time in his word in the book of Titus chapter one. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. Pray that you just guide my thoughts and words tonight, that what you want said to these ladies would encourage their hearts. They would hear what you want them to hear. And God, you're, you would be honored and glorified. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, ladies. So for the first week that we were together, we went through the who, what, where, and when in the book of Titus. And for those of you who weren't with us, we have that in week one, and we're going to try to get that made available online for you if you are listening along with us. Um, some of this is video, and this is for the girls that meet together. The rest of you will probably hear this on audio that listen to it, which you'll be just fine. <laughs> so um, anyway, we're going to focus in tonight on Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16. So just to review a little bit. Titus was sent to Crete by the Apostle Paul to, as it says in verse 5, to put things in order or to set things in order that were lacking or that had remained undone. We're not quite sure when the Apostle Paul was in Crete. And uh, we also talked about the fact that there were people from Crete at Pentecost, and many of them may have become believers at that time and then have gone home. But in the area um, on the island of Crete, there were believers, but no organized churches. And Paul recognized the need to have good and godly leadership because there were false teachers there and they were causing all kinds of difficulty. And one of the questions that I asked you to think about was what happens when we try to bring about order, uh, spiritual order, and to live godly lives apart from the gospel. And I think as you think about it, we have one or two things that will happen. We'll either get moralism or legalism trying to somehow go about bringing about our own salvation or our own sanctification in our own power. And I can tell you that that just doesn't work. Um, we can't do that especially when people try um, to do good in order to gain favor with God. Remember, I tried to give you a quote from Tim Keller last week and pretty much butchered it. Okay, so here's what he said. He said, every other religion in the world says, I obey, therefore I will be accepted by God. And true Christianity says, I am accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Therefore, I obey. It's a completely different foundation, totally different way of looking at it. Because there has to be true heart change before there can be real godliness. And think about it like this. 
I don't know if this is just an American thing or maybe it's just a me thing, but we tend to want the bottom line, right? Just tell me what I have to do and I'll get the job done. Um, in my own life, probably the best example I have of that is in the area of dieting. Some of you don't like that word, well, health management, however you want to call it. But I can remember reading book after book after book on the topic, some of them two inches thick. And what I would do usually with these books where the author had researched and researched and they were pouring out their hearts was I would skip back about three quarters of the way through the book because I just want to know where the diet was. Just tell me what I got to do and then I'll do it and it'll be good. Well, since I had skipped ahead and ignored the entire foundation that the author was trying to set, how do you think that worked out for me? Yeah, not very good. And what happens for us when we try to change externally, try to make changes, but there's not been a transformed heart, there's not been a changed heart, it's not going to last. And it isn't true godliness because the gospel is the foundation of that. Um, and I think I said in the notes that the Bible is filled with good and godly behaviors that we should be doing. But apart from that relationship that we have because of salvation in Christ, it just becomes more of a to-do list for us. And I had you look up verses in Isaiah 64 about what our righteousness is like. King James says it's filthy rags. And if you've researched that as a woman, you understand exactly what that means about filthy rags. That's what our own righteousness is like. But then I had you look at Isaiah 61.10, where it talks about being clothed in righteousness. And I'll read that. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself out like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So when we're reading these verses, where is that righteousness coming from? Where is this garment of salvation coming from? When you read this, you see that it is God himself that brings that garment for us. He's the one that provides it. And we talked about Genesis uh, in chapter 3, where there had to be a death. The animals had to give up their lives for earthly clothing for Adam and Eve. And that was a foreshadowing of the death that Jesus would had, have to die for us to clothe our eternal souls with his righteousness. And it's nothing that we can do ourselves. And I know that some of you uh, may be wondering, and probably were when you're reading the first two pages of the notes in our study, why are we talking about this again? Didn't we already talk about this? I mean, I'm already a Christian. And I think you'll connect that with Pastor Pat's message last week. We need reminders of the truth, and we can take great joy in godly living and obedience when we remember how much we've been loved by God and everything that he's done for us. But if we're trying to do this all in our own energy and all in our own strength, we will fail because we can't do it. But by the grace of God and because we've been born again, and we have that foundation, then we can fight against sin and we are free to live for the Lord. 
I don't know if any of you are familiar with some of the uh, recent shows on HGTV. There's one with a mother and a daughter who um, are redoing old houses in Indianapolis in a historic area. And they went into one I saw recently, a brick house. It's kind of cute from the outside and didn't look like it was, it's going to take a lot of work, but you know, and then they went down in the basement and they were looking at the foundation and discovered it didn't have a foundation. There was a partial brick wall and big, huge gaps and then dirt floor. And they both were like, you know, maybe we should go out until we have an engineer come in here and look at this. And what they had to do was jack up the house and they had to pour a whole new foundation because all the cute things that they had planned for that house that they were going to do would never have stood the test of time without a solid foundation. And that's what we want for each of you. And we want for ourselves to be reminded daily of the foundation that we have in Christ, because without that, we really don't have anything. But with that, whatever our lives um, bring, whatever God allows in our lives, we know that he is with us and he will strengthen us and he will use it for good. So this week, um, we looked at the first five through, um, well, basically we looked at the whole chapter and I'm going to read Titus 1, 5 through 16. Um, and then we'll just talk a little bit about these verses. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Okay, so at the beginning, we stated that we need the gospel before godliness, and now we're going to talk about the leaders, and they were to be faithful, not flashy. I'm not really great at alliterating, so next week there probably won't be a third one or a fourth one, but these came kind of easy. So, um, But I want to encourage you, as you've been reading, to note some things, things that stand out to you, and make notes in the margins so that you can share that with us. Um, even as you're answering the questions, even as you're reading the scripture, um, write down the things that stand out to you um, or the things that you have questions about. 
Okay, when you read in these verses that phrase, above reproach, um, and it also means uh, blameless, that word is also used to say blameless, why do you think that's important for a church leader? One of the things that we know um, that church leaders are held to a great a high standard and great responsibility because they will give an answer to the Lord for the souls that he's entrusted to them. So one of the things I think we really need to be thinking about that we don't always remember, we have high expectations of our leaders and of our pastors, but we don't always think to pray for them and to pray about the different things that they face each day, um, the opposition from the enemy, and that just the trials and the burdens of the lives of the people that they are shepherding and that they love. So first of all, we need to be praying for them and that God would strengthen them, protect them, and encourage their hearts. But also, this idea of being above reproach, they're representing God. But the thing that I wanted you to see when you read Colossians 1, 21 to 23 Is it only the leaders that represent God? Is it only our church leaders who are to be living these kind of lives? I think you're going to find the answer is no. They are um, our leaders in that. And even as Paul said to his followers, follow me. But what did he add? As I follow Christ. Christ is our ultimate example. As leaders, um, as Women, we, we will fail each other. We won't mean to, we won't want to, but we are still frail, broken people. But we don't have to be bound by sin because we are the children of God. And because of that, we have the Holy Spirit within us to strengthen us, to encourage us as we fight against sin. So in thinking about our leaders, yes, they are held to a high standard. And I had you look up uh, James 3.1 which talked about those who want to be teachers are also going to be held accountable because of the word of God that we're handling. We want to be very, very careful that we are speaking truth and that we are in line with what God says, not twisting the scriptures to say what we want at the moment. So all God's children are called to live godly in Christ Jesus, but leaders carry that extra responsibility Um, as God's stewards for the church. So I want you to think about that even as you um, think this week about our pastors, to pray for them, those who are cell group leaders, those who are, have any kind of responsibility. Um, If you're married, praying for your husband as he has the responsibility to lead your home, to be the godly leader. And for you, as you are working with uh, younger women, as you are, if you're a mom working with your children, asking God to give you a heart that first loves him and then loves the people that he has put you responsible for um, in a very, um, very daily and um, don't give up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Keep on, keep on praying, uh, praying for our leaders and praying that we would be good followers of the Lord and of the leadership he's given us. Okay, so I asked you also to contrast the qualities that you see in verse 7 with the qualities in verse 8. And then I asked you to look at some other verses. 
So those qualities in verse 7, the overseer was God's steward above reproach, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Those are things that he is not to be. Um, and when you look at those, I was thinking about that. That is the culture of the world, the self. It's all about me. What makes me feel good? What do I want right now? I am looking at me. And so when I don't get what I want, I get angry. Or if I think I'm smarter than other people, I will be arrogant or greedy for gain or all of those things. Those are a self-involved, selfish behavior. But then when you look at verse 8, what are the things that you see? This is a transformed heart because he can't really be that way apart from having his heart transformed. In the first part of verse 7, you see that an overseer is God's steward must be above reproach. Not any of those things I just listed. Well, that change comes from a transformed heart from God making us new. And when I had you read those verses in 1 Corinthians 6, there's a long list of sins there. And then there's that lovely phrase, but such were some of you, but you have been washed and sanctified and justified by God. God is the one who changes people. Um, and then I want to encourage your hearts too, that especially if you're a new believer, birth is immediate event. Now, some of you who have had very, very long labors might disagree with me that it's an immediate event, but we would agree that a birth is an event, but growth takes place over time. So even as we are born into God's family, we grow and we are sanctified by the work of God in our hearts. And I hope that encourages you, even as you read these verses. All right, so when we looked at verse 9 together, what was the hope and the foundation of a good church leader? How is he to live based on that foundation? And I love the way this is written in verse 9. It says, the word he has been taught, he is to teach others. So what does that tell you about that leader? He has to have a teachable heart. He cannot be a man who thinks he knows everything. That's why in another place in scripture, it says that a leader should not be a novice, not a brand new baby believer, because he has much to learn. And so there has to be a teachable spirit in a leader. But with that word, the word of God that he has been taught, he is now to teach others. And I think that should give each one of us hope, because as we spend time in God's word and learn what God says about himself. It teaches us how to respond. And then it allows us to be able to share that with other people and encourage them along the way. All right. So then in verses 1, 10 through 11, we reviewed um, the leaders were to be kind, not to love quarreling or controversy. But why was it so important that they confront false teachers? As you looked at those verses, what were the false teachers doing? They were causing harm. They were upsetting family. They were causing destruction. And so when you look at the leadership that Titus was putting in place, their followers needed to know and see that being a loving 
and kind and gentle person, not given to quarreling and not loving controversy did not mean that you didn't stand up and take a stand for the truth. They were to, um, to speak truth to those who were saying falsehood. So it's not, it's not God honoring to just act like everything's fine. We're not supposed to be, um, as one of my friends said, if you really love confrontation, you should probably lay off of it for a while. We're not to be loving that, but we're also not to be afraid to speak the truth. We are to represent God in a way that shows what he says and not to try to please the people around us. Okay, so now we get to those words, um, that quote from that um, uh, that philosopher from the island of Crete, who said that uh, that the men of Crete were always um, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and then Paul said, "This is true." That sounds pretty harsh to us and to our ears. Um, but why do you think it was important for Paul to repeat that? And I don't know. This is where I really wish I could hear your thoughts on this, um, and maybe we can talk about it some next week. But um, what do you see as a positive reason for Paul doing that? As you looked at that verse, and I, there's a section in there, uh, a little spot in there, that's such an encouragement to me. Let me get the page back here so I can read the verse to you. Um, because Paul is saying something that sounds super harsh to us, super harsh to our, especially our American ears. But when he says this, um, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Why was he doing this? He wasn't doing this to beat them down. He wasn't doing this to be mean. He was doing this that some of them might come to the truth. I want you to think about this. They all came from the same cultural background where Zeus, the... Um, Roman God, who was known for lying and deception, they were very proud of him for being from there. This is the same culture that they all came from. But the gospel had changed the hearts of the believers. And now they are confronting the false teachers, not only to correct them, and that was important, they had to correct them, but also that they could come to the knowledge of the truth, that they might be sound in the faith. And why do you think Paul knew this especially well? Because Paul himself, breathing out threatenings against the believers, was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road. And he was saved, gloriously saved and changed. And there was hope for even some of those false teachers. So I want you to see that even in correcting them, there was a hope for change. All right. And then as you read the last couple of verses, some of the false teachers may have been those who wanted to add the law to salvation. They were called the Judaizers. And um, this is the issue that Paul dealt with so strongly in the book of Galatians, because he needed to say to them, and we need to remember that any time you add something we do to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. And since these false teachers were causing such great confusion, they were to be 
confronted with truth, but also with the hope that their hearts would change. And then how did their lives show that they were not followers of Christ? Basically, it's right there in the questions. Their lives showed what they believed. But then you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. What did his life show? And there's the challenging question that goes right along with what Pastor Pat preached on Sunday. If someone followed you around and shadowed you for a month, what would they see? It's convicting to, I think, each one of us that heard that. Am I representing Christ in my daily life? I will never do it perfectly because I will never be perfect this side of heaven. But I can grow. I can change. I can become more like Jesus every day because God is at work making me more like his son. That is his goal in this life for us to make us more like Jesus, but also that our lives would glorify him. And we have such great hope because he loves us too much to leave us where we are. He will make us more like Jesus all along the way until it's time for us to go home to be with him. So I hope as you read this week, you were greatly encouraged that God is at work. He worked in a difficult place like Crete. And sometimes when you look around and you see the world that we live in, you can get really discouraged. You listen to the news and you think, oh my goodness. And we pray for the Lord to come back. And we do. We all do. But we don't hunker down and wait for Jesus to come. We stand up. We speak the truth. We live lives to honor him. And when we fail, we confess. We ask forgiveness of the people that we hurt. And we get up and we keep moving, encouraging each other along the way. Thank you so much, ladies, for being Um, faithful members of this Bible study, even when we can't get together to have it. Next week, we're going to get into chapter two. This is pretty much the chapter most women are familiar with. It is Titus chapter two. And I think sometimes we're intimidated by it. Sometimes we're encouraged by it. I hope that we get a good biblical view. And I want you to be encouraged even as you jump in to study this next week. And we are all praying that the weather will be such that we can get together. Thank you, ladies. I will be praying for each one of you, um, asking you guys to remember to keep praying for each other as we've shared um, prayer requests. And I will email out to all of you since this is the um, the voice is, uh, the audio part is going to be up on the church website. I will just continue to be praying for you and pray that you will continue uh, to keep praying for each other as well. God bless you and have a wonderful week and stay warm.